excited to be here and to fill the role of your interim pastor. I look forward to what God has, what He's going to do during this time. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, so thankful that You shed Your blood for us. So thankful that You died on the cross in our place. And thankful, Lord, that You're the one worthy to open the scroll. No one else can. And Lord, we just thank You that we can come together today, fellowship together today, worship You today, and hear Your Word today, Lord. We thank You in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you will, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. And if you will, go ahead and stand at this time as we read God's Word. You threw me off last week, but you don't, not today. <clears throat> Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. And whether there are tongues, they will cease. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part we done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. But now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but when I shall know just as, shall know just as I also am known. And now by faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. You may be seated. Well, we just finished up Valentine's Day, and I just want to share with you, men, if you forgot, I can provide counseling. Uh, I'll, I'll be able to help you with that if you forgot. It's Valentine's Day Wednesday. The definition of a New Testament love. I love this definition. One person said, our world craves love but they can't find fulfilling and lasting love. People look to be loved, they want to be loved, they want to love, but everything they look for in this world gives them a false hope. Love is the deciding factor in our life. It defines us. It motivates us. But we struggle to find love in our relationships and end up with false love. Two primary words are used in the New Testament. Phileo, which means friendship, and agape, and some people pronounce agape, it means just love, and it's unconditional and sacrificial love. It's interesting that that word was not even existent in the Greek until Christians came along. And so they had to find a word to describe this sacrificial love that Jesus had shown, 
and that the love that Jesus expects us to show to others. How to make up a word for it. Agape. Keith Creel, senior pastor, says, Agape love sacrifices for others. It is an act of the will. In other words, you have to decide to do it. It is a decision, a commitment. Love is not about your needs or my needs. It's about God's will. It's all about God's will. Not what we want, other than what God wants in our life. Alan Redpath, former uh, pastor of Moody Baptist, Moody Memorial Church, says, Love is not a gift, but a grace, and it is the primary proof of a genuine new birth. You want to know if you're saved and have assurance? Do you love other people? Do you love others? That is really an evidence that you've been born again. The love of God is not based on how worthy or unworthy that someone is. We don't base our love on how good they are or, or if they're good to us. Or we love them anyway. The love of God is not increased or decreased if someone is loving or unlovable. Our level of love should be the same. Whether we like that person or not, whether they're easy to get along with, maybe they're the greatest person in the world, but that doesn't determine whether we love them or not. We love because God loved us first. That's what love is all about. We are commanded to love one another, just period. We just love one another. John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, we think about Jesus and the disciples. And he says, love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love the disciples? Unconditionally and sacrificially. He had an incredibly different group of people. Fishermen, tax collectors, others that were, you know, intelligent and knew the law. And, I mean, just a whole different group of people. But he loved them all just like they were. Even Judas he loved. Now think about that. He knew Judas was going to betray him, but he loved him unconditionally and sacrificially. So how can we be nothing in the kingdom of God? You heard that right. How can we be nothing in the kingdom of God? Look back at verses 1 through 3 again. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clinging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Wow. A life void of love is truly an empty life. No matter how full their life may be. You can fill your life with all kind of good deeds. If you if fill your schedule with meeting needs of others. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. You can have something you do every day of the week to help people. do all those things. But if you don't love people, if you don't have love, you really or nothing. You're doing it out of a sense, maybe of guilt, that you have to. Or maybe you're doing these things because, well, if I do this, I can go to heaven if I do enough good works. Paul says we can speak with the tongues of men or angels, but without love, we're just a lot of noise. 
We can have great gifts that will enable us to know the future, understand mysteries and know everything, and have faith to move mountains. But without love, we are nothing. We are loving. If we have, we have to understand love is what it's all about. Again, Alan Redpath, a man with faith that can move mountains right out of the path, if he has not love, will throw that mountain right in the path of somebody else. That's what happens when you don't love. You just do things for yourself. It's all about me. It's all about what, what I can do. It's not anything about anybody else. It doesn't care about anybody else. It's all about self. We can give everything we have to feed the poor. We can sacrifice our body even to be burned for Christ. Without love, we are nothing. That word nothing is empty. It's not notable. Imagine living a life that's not notable. Here's how Jesus says we are to love. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in the tongue, but in deed and in truth. If you see somebody, especially if there's somebody you know, and they're in great need, and you go, well, we'll be praying for you. When all you'd have to do maybe is write a check or hand them a 20 or something that you know would help them kind of move on a little bit. But if all you do is look at them and say, well, I'm, I'm really sorry about that, we'll be praying for you at church. Our love should say we are to help that individual whatever way that we can, to encourage them. At the Bema seat, many people are not going to have anything at the table. They're not going to have anything there to bring because they've never loved. Jesus asked this question, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You can be very wealthy. You can have everything you want. You can fill up everything. We talked about stuff this morning in our Sunday school class. We have all the stuff in the world, and all we have to do is just go buy something else to put it in. I, I've heard this, and I'm not really sure about it. I have actually heard that cars go in a garage. I can't get a car in my garage. It's full of stuff, full of junk. Now, I've, I've never seen a garage that has a car in it. I'm going to look for one one day. But that's what we do. We, we get, gain the whole world. We have all these different things. Your community service, humanitarian concerns will not get you into heaven. Only faith through Christ will get you to heaven. I've met a lot of people through their life that thought their good works would get them to heaven. Jesus said, I died for you. I died in your place as we sang this morning. His shed blood was for us. And to come to know Christ means I come to a place of realizing I am a sinner in need of grace. I'm a sinner in need of my sins being forgiven. The only one that can provide that, that is Jesus Christ. It's trusting him by faith, believing in him by faith. And even believing is not enough. I, I, let me explain that. The demons even believed. And people, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, have you ever trusted him? Have you told him what a great sinner you are and how much you need your sins forgiven? It's that faith that we put in him, that trust that we put in him, that is our salvation. So we look in these next verses what real love looks like in verses 4 through 8. 
And it's interesting. Paul just lists these different things of what real love is all about. Love suffers long. In other words, it's slow to anger, slow to punish, even if justified. And you might say, well, you know, that person really needs, he really, I'm justified by just knocking him down. You don't understand what he did. Love says it suffers long. It suffers long. It does not, it's slow to anger, slow to retaliate. And Paul says love is kind. It does not strike back against those that hurt you. We don't get even. And again, this gets into, well, you don't know how bad that person hurt me. You don't understand what they did to me, but it doesn't matter. Paul says, we don't get angry, we suffer long, and love is kind to each other. Love does not envy. In other words, we're not jealous. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. It's not jealous of other success, their abilities, or their position in life. You ever work somewhere and you've worked really hard? And you've worked really hard to get a promotion, and all of a sudden the guy that does nothing gets a promotion? You ever had a friend that got that brand new car and you just have that clunker still sitting in your garage and he's a good friend and he got a brand new nice car and all of a sudden that envy bug kind of comes up. Love is not like that. Love is not envy of what people have. It's not envy of their positions. Love is kind. It suffers long. It does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It doesn't boast. It doesn't brag about itself. It, 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 love is this thing that says, I, this is who I am, and you see who I am, but I'm not going to tell you and brag about myself. I, mean, Wayne, I, I appreciate what Wayne said, but I was like, okay, that's, that's a hard act to follow, you know. I, I, we just love. We don't brag about ourselves. We don't bro boast or show off ourselves. We love each other. Jesus' greatness was revealed not merely in what he displayed, but in the things he suppressed. I mean, he loved unconditionally. He did great things. He was a great teacher. But he suppressed all those things. He never bragged about himself. Even when he was going to the cross, <clears throat> he never argued. He never talked back. He was never angry. He suppressed all those things because of his humbleness. Love is not puffed up. It is never arrogant, but it is humble. Love does not behave rudely. It is not ill-mannered, but courteous. I might start opening that before the service because those little bottles, everything pours out all the place. Get off my notes. Not being puffed up, never arrogant, always humble. Not ill-mannered, but courteous in all that it does. Love does not seek its own. It is not selfish. So that all comes together with the stuff of how do we share with others? How do we take care of others? How do we meet the needs of others? Because we're not selfish. Again, it's not about us. It does not grasp for its own rights, but finds its joy in serving others. Love is not looking out to self. Love is looking out for others. It's looking out for those that we can help. It is not selfish in what it does. Love is not provoked. It's not bad-tempered. Love thinks no evil. It does not keep a record of wrongs done. Whoa, boy, that's... 
I, I hear people say, well, you know what? This person did something to me, and they'll tell me. I said, when did that happen? Oh, like 20 years ago. And you're still keeping a record of it? You're still keeping an account, and you're still bringing it up, and you're still mad about it? And it was 20 years ago? Love does not do that. It does not keep a record of wrongs done. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love is not happy over the moral failure of others. You ever been happy when somebody else's life falls apart? Because you were holding something against them, you thought, well, they deserve that. I mean, they did terrible. They deserve that. Love does not tell us to do that. Love does not rejoice in other person's failures or their sin. Do you gloat over someone's failure? Do you gossip about them? Oh, I heard about so-and-so. You can't believe what happened to them. Man, I mean, they deserved it. Their life fell apart. They lost their job. Then all this kind of happened. And all of a sudden, we're gossiping and telling about things. Love does not do that. Love rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in the good news of others. Now, we should be happy about what good things happen to other people. Even those who hurt us, we should be happy about the good things. Love bears all things, suffers long, without retaliation. This repeated through all this stuff, if we do not retaliate, we do not go against somebody, we do not hurt somebody, we do not gossip against them. Love does not do that. That is not what love is. Love believes all things. It is not suspicious. It is not trusting. Well, what's a tough one? You ever had somebody hurt you and they say, well, I'm sorry. It won't happen again. It happens again. And then again it happens. And they're getting where you don't trust them. You're suspicious of them. But love says we are to trust them even in those failures. And it's one of the most difficult things in life we think about, but only through the love of Christ can we come to that place of understanding who people are, understanding their failures, and not holding it against them. Love hopes all things. It does not give up on somebody. It hopes for the best. That's another difficult one. We do give up on people. The same thing we're talking about, it's not suspicious. We're not, we're not trusting the people. We're giving up on them. Love says, hang in there. Hang in there in their life. Encourage them. Don't give up. Hope they can change their life. And that's difficult because you'll know somebody, you've known them for a long time, and they continue doing the same thing over and over and over. And you're after a while going, I, I can't trust them. Hope in them. Hope they can change their life. Love endures all things. Love is not defeated. It will go through the situation. It will not give up. And well, you know, I read these passages, and I read what Paul is saying here, what the Word of God tells us, and I believe the Word of God is God-breathed. It is His Word to us. But boy, some of these things sure are difficult to do. Some of these things are hard to do. And we struggle. And maybe you're out there going right now, well, Pastor, I, I just can't do that. You don't understand how hard that is to love somebody who did me wrong. It's hard not to be envious of somebody else's success when I know I've worked hard too. But what the Word of God says, love is not those things. We are to love each other. He goes on in verse 9 and 10, love never fails, but everything else will pass away. There's going to be a time when all the things this life is over, but love will continue. Love will continue in heaven. Because we'll see the greatest love ever when we get to heaven of what God says he has prepared for us. What Jesus says there in John 14, I've gone to prepare a place for you. 
Well, I don't know about you, but if Jesus is going to prepare a place for me, it's going to be pretty nice, I believe. So I've gone on before you to do these things. Love never fails. One way we know all things is that is in heaven. And again, when we get to heaven, we'll see everything complete. Everything that God has for us. Faith, what we trust in for salvation. Hope, our confidence of the future. Love. But then he goes on there in verse 13. Let me read that again. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. We can have all hope, we can have faith, but the greatest is to love each other. And I think sometimes we have to love ourselves. I see people don't love themselves. They can't forgive themselves of what they've done in the past. They struggle with some things they've done and they just can't ever get over that. But you love yourself and you get beyond the mistakes that you've made knowing that Jesus has forgiven you. That you move on with your life. So love ends up telling us to do certain things. And I think one thing that love really has for us is love teaches us to serve. Somewhere, somehow, love produces compassion in us to serve. The love of Christ will lead us to show compassion to those we meet. Sometimes we don't have compassion for people, but love tells us to have compassion. It shows us, it teaches us, it directs us how to have compassion for others. Peter tells us to have compassion for one another. That's not feeling sorry for somebody. It's compassion that motivates you to do things for them, to help them. There are three types of tears that we have. There's a basal, which is a continual lubricant, what keeps your eyes wet all the time. Reflex is a response to pain. Irritants like onions, and those will cause you to cry. But emotional tears is because of compassion. When you're weeping because you care for somebody, maybe they've been through something, they're hurting and you care for them, that compassion causes you to weep for them. I think it's the same thing when you're in the worship time and you begin to weep. You begin to cry <clears throat> because you're having compassion for what God is doing in your life. Only, well, some people may argue this, but only humans have this ability, tears of compassion. Our pets don't. I'm sorry, they, I just don't believe they do. They can be different sometimes, but they don't have the ability to have tears. Jesus wept with Martha over Lazarus. Remember that? Remember Jesus has been away and Lazarus has been sick. <clears throat> we don't know why, what he had, but he'd been sick for some time. Jesus comes and he tells his disciples, well, we'll wait. And they're like, what do you mean you're going to wait? Lazarus is your friend. We're, well, we'll wait. Four days he gets there. He goes to Mary and Martha and says, Mary and Martha said, Jesus, if, if you had only been here, you could have healed Lazarus, your friend. You could have healed him had you been here. <clears throat> Let's go to the tomb. They go to the tomb. And what does Jesus do when he gets there? He weeps. And I always thought about that passage. Why did Jesus weep? In just a few moments, he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That should be joyful. But what he was weeping about was the pain that Lazarus went through. The agony he went through with whatever he had that caused him to die. The pain and grief that his family went through and his friends went through when they found that Lazarus had died. They didn't know Jesus was going to raise him from the dead. They hurt. They hurt. And Jesus weeps with us. He knows our hurts. He knows what we go through. He understands our, our times of death and sickness. 
And I believe that's why he wept. But then he said, Lazarus, come forth. Ended all those things. He came out of the tomb. God equipped us to help people. He equipped us to help people in need. To do things for them. In, in Luke 10, we see the story of the Good Samaritan. He was moved with compassion. And he was a Samaritan, man. He was, a, he was the filth of the earth to the Jewish people. They were terrible. But he stopped and helped the man, took care of the expenses at the end, paid for things, paid for more than what was going to be taking place because he had compassion on that man. Psalm 86.15 tells us God is full of compassion. If he's full of compassion, it's going to run over into our lives. And we'll have compassion. I saw this story. It really made me begin to think about what we can do when we're in a real need. Porter Halliburton and Fred Cherry were prisoners at the Hanoi Hilton for seven years. Three months, 26 days. Porter Halliburton was there five days less than Fred Cherry. Porter Halliburton was a Navy flyer and grew up in the South. Fred Cherry was the first black officer captured by the North Vietnamese. Vietnamese. Porter was placed in the cell with Fred soon after he had been shot down. Fred's wounds were horrible. He was near death when he got there. Porter treated his wounds, gave him his clothes, shared his food, showered him. And when they were liberated, Fred Cherry said he would not have lived had it not been for Porter Halliburton caring for him. Porter Halliburton said that caring for Fred gave him a sense of mission and purpose. It enabled him to forget his own problems and serve someone else, and it taught him to love a brother in need. Porter says that's why he survived. Isn't it strange? Both men said they survived for the same reasons. One helped the other, and the other helped him, and so I survived because I helped him. That's compassion. And God has given us the power to serve others and to help others because of love. Because of love. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you need to find a sense of purpose or a mission in your life? Is there something you do outside of church that helps other people? Are you involved in some ministry outside of the church? Are you involved in something that helps people, a food bank or something along that line? Are you struggling to love those that God puts in your life? There are times I go, God, why did you send that person my way? I, I'll be honest. There's times I'm like, I just don't know what I can do for them. My wife and I both have this written on our forehead, tell me your story. I mean, we'll be sitting at a restaurant. I never forget one time we were at a restaurant eating and the waitress walked up to us and just started weeping and sharing with us what she was going through. Now, I don't know if she knew, she didn't know I was a pastor, a pastor's wife, but she saw something. And she's, and both of us go, every time we go somewhere, there's somebody who wants to tell us their story. And we're there to listen, if nothing else. Are you struggling to forgive those that have hurt you? Do you come to church expecting to be served instead of being a servant? And has your compassion dried up? Have you gotten discouraged? Have you gotten tired? Has your compassion gone? Do y'all as a church, I don't know, do y'all have a mission trip that you plan every year? Is there something you can get involved in in your community? Those are places where you see love grow and where your compassion grows and you begin to find out what your sense of serving is all about. How do you serve the Lord?
How do you help others in need? And part of a church, one of the greatest things is when a church finds its need and its purpose. Why are we here? Is it just to come on Sundays and have a service? Is that it? Do we have a greater purpose than that? I believe so. It's impacting our community, reaching out to those in need, showing compassion for those in need, and showing the love of God to others that may never, ever see love at all. Maybe you'll become that person that somebody will just walk up to you, let me share my story, my troubles. That's all they need, somebody to listen to them. Somebody will hear them. Today, most of all, though, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, today's the day. Today is the day of salvation. I think the Holy Spirit has touched lives today as we worshiped and everything. I tell you, it was a powerful service today. God has spoken to you. And today is the day that you need to trust Christ. Or maybe you're here and say, Bill, I, I think I've trusted Christ, but I'm just not really sure. Or maybe you say, I've trusted Christ, I've never been baptized. And today... You need to just come make that public decision. I need to get baptized. I put it off long enough. Or maybe you're looking for a church home. Let me tell you, this church is going to find that person that's going to lead them. Don't wait till that person gets here. Go ahead and get involved in this church now. Don't wait. So we're going to have a time of invitation in just a moment. And we're going to ask you to come to this front. Whatever. Maybe you just need to come and pray. And just fill these benches, these altars up with your time of prayer for others. Would you do that today? Father, we thank you for your love that you show us. I thank you, Lord, that you have compassion for us, that you have compassion for all of us, that your great love is what sent your son to die in our place. So, Lord, today, I pray for those who need to make decisions, that need to trust you. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?